power on. And now for another fast-breaking news story, we go to our roving reporter. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants tried to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. The man of tomorrow is here by request. Uh, Request of a Sovereign Tech listener, actually, out of the amazing Sovereign Tech Polytechnic Telegram group. Uh, Always a lot of fun and just incredible conversations going on in there. But if it sounds a little, I don't know, echoey, uh, my audio, or if it sounds like there's an air conditioner in the background, that's because, well, frankly, there is. (laughs) I'm not uh, in the BDSM 3 studio uh, right now because, or the BDSM Studio 3, I should say, because holy shit, like Kiss would say, hot, hot, hotter than hell. Uh, It has been an insanely hot, uh, really past couple weeks. I mean, I think the, like, it feels like temperature, right? Even though that should be what it actually is, but whatever. (laughs) It says it's 95 out, but supposedly it feels like 103. And, you know, that's not common for Ice Planet Zero. Of course, by Ice Planet Zero, I mean New Hampshire. And I guess for a little behind the scenes, um, the BDSM Studio 3 is in a part of the house where an air conditioner just wouldn't work. 80 to 90% of the year, that's not a problem, you know? And I don't mind. I mean, I get sweaty doing this show anyway, (laughs) but I don't mind getting sweaty. Uh, But boy, when it's 100 degrees or something, it definitely uh, puts a lot of recording on the back burner. uh, And it puts a lot of projects kind of on on the back burner. And it's something in the future, you know, as one moves to other places and does whatever, you know, it's something that I will uh, resolve you know, and, and, and bear in mind going into the future. Maybe when we get to the BDSM studio four, and of course BDSM stands for Brian's dungeon of sex and magic. Uh, I'm actually recording from a room where a whole lot of sex and magic happens. (laughs) I might be recording in the bedroom, Uh, (laughs) but we are not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about ransomware. And like I said, this is by request. Uh, the request was from a long time and just dynamite sovereign tech listener, uh, at sovereign. Could you share some ideas on dealing with ransomware? I'm always worried. These things can sneak into backups. Uh, you know, in in a year when we have been, or we, when, when the earth, <laughs> when society, has been dealing with uh, colonial pipeline. I mean, it, you know, it, there's just, there's so many uh, ransomware attacks that seem to happen by the day, some significantly larger than others. It's really a, a great topic to revisit. And I don't know if I've ever done on Sovereign Tech proper a full breakdown of what's a good idea uh, or what are, what, are the, what are best practices to do to uh, uh, really mitigate against 
or prevent ransomware attacks. And really, that's all you've got. Uh, you know, I, sh I should say that right at the onset. I mean, we've talked about them in the past, but I don't think I've ever done like a, a full on breakdown of, of my recommendations on what to do. And certainly I have given these recommendations to companies um, over the years. Some of them are willing to go the distance. Others are not. There's a reason I am not a very popular uh, cybersecurity uh, uh, expert or consultant with companies because uh, I think a lot of them feel my views are too extreme. Well, I also think that if you went the distance that I described, your chances of getting infected with uh, really any kind of malware, not just ransomware attacks, uh, would, would drop pretty damn low. I mean, they just really would. And it's not because these are my ideas necessarily. It's because these are time-tested ideas. These are ideas that have been shown to work over and over again. But to get back to the point I was going to say is that there's really only two options and that's prevention or clean slate. Meaning dealing with ransomware, you have two options. You can either prevent them from prevent it from happening at all. And there's a conversation to have around that. Or when it happens, you, the, the just the best thing that you can do is wipe the slate clean. And, you know, for, for a lot of uh, governments, corporations, individuals, I mean, that, that idea of going clean slate of wiping all data, you know, wiping machines clean is anathema, you know, like, no, we, we, we can't have that. We're going to pay the attackers, you know, and, and paying the attackers. Yeah. I guess you could say that that's option three. Um, I think that there are a lot, I mean, depending upon what they're asking for uh, as far as the, you know, the amount I suppose that it could be considered viable. I think there's the very real concern, you know, uh, two concerns out of that, which one is, is after you pay the ransom, will they actually unlock your systems or just ask for more money or two, do they even know how to really do that? Because a lot of ransomware we know now is basically ransomware uh, as a service, right? It's like Ross <laughs> instead of SAS, it's rat, or maybe we'd say RAS. Uh, it's ransomware as a service. Like you can go online and pay for, you know, uh, 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 ransomware attacks basically. And you can collect, you know, the fees for that. You just got to be able to pay uh, for the, either the script or, you know, whatever. I mean, so, so you're dealing with script kitties. You're dealing with a lot of things. Basically it's very up in the air that even paying is going to get you the desired result. And that's why, frankly, I don't really consider that an option because I just think that's too much of a roll of the dice. So wiping the slate clean, um, you know, that that's after the fact, like, I, I just think that that there's, there's no question. That's what you have to do. I mean, maybe if, you know, if you, if you had some kind of a backup that you thought might, you know, have information that your, your business or that, you know, that you just needed or whatever. Uh, maybe if you pop that on an air gap system and just needed to look at the data, but I'd never let anything else touch that data or touch that machine. Not a, not even a flash drive, nothing, you know, if it's one and, and kind of, kind of cart before the horse here, <laughs> this, this is, this is somewhat of a big subject, but I'm going to try and, and keep it 
uh, simple and actionable. But my essential point is the reason why I say you only have two options is either prevent it or wipe the machines clean is that even with backups, I mean, you just, you don't know, you don't know how long that some of this, uh, you know, ransomware slash malware has been in your systems. You know, sometimes this stuff, I mean, recently, so there was the case, right, with uh, with Western Digital, with their, what was it, the MyBooks, um, which were these hard drives that could double as a NAS that haven't been, you know, network area storage, that haven't been updated in like five years or maybe even longer. I mean, in the same amount of time. And suddenly, you know, in the past couple of weeks here in June of 2021, uh, some of these MyBooks from Western Digital have been getting wiped clean because there's malware on them that once activated could, you know, wipe out the entire drive. And people were losing terabytes of data because of this. Now the theory goes is that that malware that allowed for, you know, that allowed for that remote attack had been on those hard drives for years, but they were just laying there dormant and Western digital hasn't updated the hardware in forever or hasn't updated the firmware or, you know, the operating system, you know, whatever happens to be running on that, you know, like my cloud or, or whatever Western digital is calling it these days. But that's the rub. I mean, let's say that, I don't know, they, they somehow had a backup of what was on those Western digital drives. If it's a backup of the actual Western digital drive, I mean, you know, there's the chance that you're not resolving anything. Um, by, by accessing that backup. Just like a lot of people think, oh, well, fortunately, you know, ransomware happens and they say, well, we've got system restore, won't be a problem. No, there's a good chance that any of the system restore images you have may still have uh, the malware in them. And the malware could be in all kinds of places on that system. There's no guarantee that system restore is going to be able to root all of that out. Again, it's a, you got to go clean slate. You got to nuke that thing. Okay. That really is your only option. If you get, you know, if, if you are victim to a, a ransomware attack. So if you're a victim now, the real option or the real solution is to just not be a victim. Of course, easier said than done. Right. And how do you do that? Well, that's what we're going to describe here, but I want to make an incredibly important caveat. That is a long time statement on sovereign tech that longtime listeners will know. And that is when an organization, whatever that type of organization that happens to be, you know, business, grocery store chain, uh, you know, government corporation, whatever, same thing, whatever, <laughs> or at least they, they're all the same authoritarianism. Um, whenever an organization gets to a certain size, when it gets to a certain scale, it as in like suddenly you have, I don't know, 2000 employees. I can't really say what the exact number would necessarily be, but effectively when you get enough human beings, this isn't even a really a technology issue. When you get enough human beings connected to one trough of data, a, i.e. a network, when you get enough human beings connected, Someone's going to fuck up. Some human being is going to click on a link in an email and boom, there's your malware payload and it's over. 
right? And it's Sony Pictures all over again from a few years ago. Basically, if you have a company that is in the high hundreds or even thousands of employees, hell, you know, maybe even if it's just above 20 (laughs) employees, you, I mean, mean, there's just, there's nothing, somebody's going to screw up. There's nothing you can really do about it. You cannot secure, not to any, you know, uh, reliable degree. You just cannot secure uh, a company. You know, I mean, and this isn't even addressing that, you know, I, I know companies that have, you know, 15 employees, two of those 15 are IT guys. Then I know other companies that have 15,000 employees. Two of those employees, the only, and only two are IT guys. I mean, cause then, then you have that whole other issue. Again, this doesn't even come down to the tech. It comes down to the humans is that up until recently, and maybe just in the past couple of years, this has started to change. You know, the C-suite is starting to pay attention and say, well, we, maybe we need more than two IT guys, right? Or the other thing that companies are doing where they have multiple campuses, right? Meaning that they have, you know, they've got shops set up in, uh, I don't know, in, in Wisconsin, then they have shops set up in Texas and they have whatever, and they just have IT guys at one of the campuses and access and try and and serve the other campuses or perhaps even around the world remotely from, you know, (laughs) and then that gets into whole issues of remote desktop, which the instant that you're bringing in, you know, team viewer or, you know, even Microsoft solutions, as far as remote desktop access and everything. uh, I mean, you're just opening the door for all kinds of trouble. Hello, Florida water company. So I want to make this really clear that no company at, you know, of a large size, you know, again, when you get into the four digits, five digits of employees, maybe even in the higher three digits of employees, uh, can, I mean, you're just, just, you're just waiting, (laughs) you know, for it to happen. I don't see how it's possible to reliably secure companies of that scale, organizations of that scale. I just, I don't think it's possible. So, and what I'm about to share here, you know, these suggestions of what to do, uh, you know, could this have resolved uh, issues with Colonial Pipeline or any of these other major ransomware attacks? Uh, If they were implemented perfectly, perhaps, you know, they have a higher percentage or a lower percentage of uh, getting, uh, you know, a, a malware injection of some kind. But that's just it. When you get that many people involved, it just can't be perfect. Somebody's going to screw up. Somebody's going to be stupid. Or just, I don't know, laissez-faire or whatever. I mean, again, even with companies at the right scale where this stuff can really help. You know, we could talk about companies that have, and, and there are, you know, today with software automation and everything else, you know, there's companies that, well, hell, you could argue there's companies that are only one person, but there are companies that, you know, have billion dollar clients that are companies that are say they only have five to six employees. If that, let me tell you, because I've seen it just try getting six 
or hell five, just try getting five employees to change their passwords every quarter. Just, just on one service, just try. You, they're they're going to complain. I mean, they're just, they're going to come right out and they're going to complain and they're going to say, oh, well, but I don't really access. I mean, they're going to come up with every fucking excuse that they can to not change their passwords. And that's what I'm saying is that this is such a losing game, not because humanity is inherently lazy. It might seem like that. Maybe by some kind of percentages, there might be, I don't know, some truth there, but, but, this is just something that like people don't want to think about it. And, and I think a big part of it is the psychological aspect of uh, that taking these steps is really causing you to think about and concentrate on that. Holy shit. All of this, you know, all of my data could just go up in smoke. And who wants to think about that? Right. It, it's the same thing. Why people, I think a lot of people uh, don't want to accept that cryptocurrencies are an absolutely valid form of money. Why don't they want to do that? Because if they do and they think about money that hard, they're suddenly going to realize that their arguments against cryptocurrencies are arguments against every single currency that has ever been used and that exists on the planet. And then their whole worldview is shot, right? Who wants to go there? Cognitive dissonance. And so that's, that's the real challenge here is trying to convince people how this is absolutely in their best interest. And not only that, but how it's a positive thing and to not concentrate on the negative aspect of it. Yes. You want to keep ransomware, uh, you know, ransomware from happening or, you know, from a ransomware attack affecting everybody and, and your business and so on. But convincing people, you know, why this is just a good idea overall, that's the hard part. And what makes it worse is that I think most, especially like, really, I know you think they don't, but like a lot of tech giants and a lot of tech companies, like they don't want the everyday person to lock down their shit. No, they really don't. They, they, they really, really do. I know you're saying, well, yeah, but Google has the advanced protection program, a fine thing. You know, but if they wanted to get everybody on it, if they really, really cared about it, they would forcibly, I mean, they would just force the matter, you know, and say, no, you have to, you know, go through this process to be able to use your smartphone. You're going to have to go through this level of security, but they don't do that. Uh, also because I mean, again, like that data that should be encrypted and that should be anonymized, uh, if that can't get collected by other apps and whatever on a smartphone, then, you know, Google doesn't have, or Apple doesn't have an app ecosystem that they get to siphon money off of. So to some degree, most of these companies really don't want you to have a secure option. And they only preach about security or privacy when they find it to be, uh, when it's advantageous to them financially, really. But I digress. If you have a company, okay, or all of this will work for you as an individual as well. Okay. But if you have a company, these are ideas for you to implement. All right. To prevent ransomware attacks from happening. But first off, so let's talk about what kind of, um, what, you know, what makes, how does a, a ransomware attack occur? Okay. So you have a couple different types 
of attack vectors. You basically, you have human attack vectors and you have, well, I guess you could call machine to machine attack vectors or machine attack vectors. So with human attack vectors as in an attack vector is a way that the malware payload can get into your organization, right? The ransomware can get into your organization. Uh, probably the number one is phishing. Okay. Phishing is an email attack where there's a link in an email and one of your employees clicks it and boom, uh, you know, that, that link takes them to somewhere or whatever gets them to download to almost automatic, you know, perhaps automatically they just have to click on it, but download, um, the malware payload for the ransomware. That's probably the biggest one. And we'll spend some time concentrating on that, but there are others. Uh, the other is SMS phishing or SMS sishing. <laughs> I guess some people want to call it that. Um, but it's the same concept of how it works in an email, but in this case, it's done via SMS. Okay. And again, how many work devices, uh, or yeah, I mean, how many work devices, work related devices are smartphones, right? Smartphones, a lot of smartphones are doing double duty, which is a major problem, right? They're doing double duty where it's a personal device and it's also a corporate device uh, or a company device, work device. And so SMS can absolutely be an attack vector. Um, for getting into your, you know, for, for creating a, or getting a malware payload delivered to your uh, corporate network. Uh, the other way is what you could call vishing, which is where it's done via voicemail, not video, but vishing is where it's phishing done via voicemail, where basically someone will leave you a voicemail to call a phone number and then the person gets led down a primrose path when they call that number and are given instructions to do something to fit. I don't know. You know, it could be, well, there's this ironically it could be about a data breach. Right. And so you need to do these steps to secure or to verify, you know, that, that everything's fine. And, but that verif that process that you go through because of this voicemail is what once again, delivers that malware payload ending up in ransomware. Um, so that's vishing. Then you also have social media is another human attack vector where, you know, it could, it could be something as simple as downloading an image or, you know, some other kind of, I don't know, uh, uh, file that ends up being the malware payload that that's done, you know, via, via social uh, media. So that one, I don't feel like is so common, but I mean, we can just nip this one in the bud right here. You know, I understand that a lot of companies feel like they need to have a social media presence. I, I understand that you feel that that's a need. I think it's crap. And I think in the next few years, you're going to find out that it's crap because the ROI is just not there. That's nothing new for Sovereign Tech, but you may feel that you need that. Okay. Uh, you should have a completely separate on a separate network separate machine, one person that is your social media representative, you know, that handles all that and all social media interaction should be done, should be treated, you know, as, as like, like a, like a cancerous cell, like you just, you cut it away from the rest of the body and you put it off to the side. All right. And you, you let that cancer just fester in a Petri dish. Hell, it's great if it could even be outside of your building. Okay. And it does not connect to your networks. It doesn't do anything like that. I mean, 
fuck it. It is completely, it's not air gapped because it's still connected to the internet, but it's, it's effectively minus the internet and air gap system that is just far away. That if, if, if the issues around social media in the past couple of years have not shown, have not, you know, made you realize that that's how far you need to go. Okay. I don't know what to tell you, but social media is a pariah in a million ways. Okay. It's not just a like mental pariah. It's also in a, like a, a network security pariah and you should treat it as such and have that just completely off to the side, but let's keep going. Uh, another human attack vector is instant messaging. Um, I mean, this is something that supposedly, you know, even got, uh, got Jeff Bezos right with WhatsApp, um, instant messaging, basically how this could work. I mean, it could be the same thing like with social media or even emails where there's a down, where there's a file to download, which is the malware payload. Um, but it could be as simple as, you know, the, the instant message has, uh, you know, what you receive is coded in such a way that it bounces around to your contact list and then, you know, can infect everybody. So those are the human attack vectors. Okay. And we'll talk about resolutions around those uh, in a minute. Let's, but let's talk about what are the machine to machine attack vectors. Um, so these are more automated, you know, a human doesn't necessarily have to be involved. Uh, and there's a few of these as well. One of them is what we could call the drive-by. Uh, this is where, you know, basically, I mean, it, you could kind of call it a human attack vector, but basically somebody just opens a web page, uh, and the web page has malicious code, say in an image or some other kind of active content. And there's your ransomware and your network's done. Um, overall system vulnerabilities, right? Just like, you know, exploits of whatever kind, they don't have to be zero days, just exploits of whatever kind, uh, where, you know, and those exploits can be taken advantage of. And this is one, I mean, we'll certainly spend some time talking about this one because as far as machine to machine, uh, this is one that is always the moving target and requires a lot of vigilance, but, and, and is never perfect, but there's certainly steps that can be taken as far as that goes. Uh, the other would be malvertising, which is kind of similar to the web page, but where it's basically, um, an ad, uh, that, that doesn't have to be like on a traditional web page, could be on a search engine, could be on a social media site, um, that, you know, and, and, or I mean, hell, you know, maybe on a porn site, which if you're going to porn sites at work and, you know, I mean, this, this speaks to a whole other issue. And, and that is what makes all of this so much harder right now. And why it's good to cover this conversation now is that so many people are working from home now more than ever before. And because of that, your employee base is all over the place. And, you know, you can't really keep an eye on um, their network activity, nor should you really. I, I mean, if, if they're working from home, I mean, that's their home. But really, we'll kind of have a different answer for that because ransomware generally means something like where there is a centralized group of servers um, that get infected, not so much, you know, what people are necessarily accessing from home. And we'll, we'll talk about that. So, again, you know, more we're talking about when you talk about ransomware, generally that's occurring, you know, within a company's like own network. We're not really talking about organizations here that basically completely rely on just sharing everything via Google Drive, right? 
that's that's a very different scenario. So network propagation, which is another machine attack vector, is is one of the other issues where basically once it gets once the malware gets on one system, it can scan for files that are shared. It can also look for, you know, what other machines are out there and start spreading its wings. Um, then you have propagation through shared services, um, you know, where it can use file sharing services. It can basically find out, okay, how is information shared on this network? What's It's kind of similar to network propagation. But in this case, it may be where you are using a specific service, say from home, to share files with computers at the office and the malware can get on your computer at home and, and, you know, get, get to that shared folder and then spread to your office from home, which speaks to kind of that big issue of where a lot of people are working from home now. Uh, And I mean, issue as far as security, you know, for some people being able to work from home is an issue of sanity. Like it keeps them sane. Okay. However that works for you, I'm not here to make a judgment on working from home and, you know, the ethics or health around that or anything like that. That's that's not what I'm touching on with this. But it does raise uh, the security challenge. It raises it significantly. So let's let's get into solutions for these. And again, really, I I can't say this enough. I think only small, agile teams can really implement this stuff. Uh, and and make it stick and make it work. Giant companies may be able to do a couple of these things and make them stick, but again, when you get into a companies of that scale and to such massive size, I just don't think it's possible to secure them. It's just just not. You're basically going to be running whack-a-mole the the rest of your life. And here here's the thing: is that eventually, just like the nature of ransomware you know, in the nature of the interconnected world we live in, I think sooner or later is it's going to topple most giant companies because giant companies just will not be able to adapt and afford. Uh, I mean, they're not, you know, like how many times can you get hit by ransomware and, and do the, the, I don't know, the billion dollar payoff or however many millions are asking for, right? I mean, these companies are lucky that most of the time, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, bad actors are only asking for, I don't know, you know, a recoupable amount of money and insurance companies aren't going to put up with it. Cyber insurance is, I mean, that that's a minefield right now, as far as if you can even get it. Like, basically, ransomware is going to bring, so, in my opinion, years in the coming years is going to bring so many organizations down to their knees. And I find it very funny that you get a lot of people poo-pooing right now. I mean, everybody's saying Bitcoin's dead again. Okay, it's at 35,000 and you're telling me it's dead? Wait, (laughs) I remember when it was, you know, pennies, not even. Ransomware alone (laughs) will keep cryptocurrency alive and valuable. Do you understand? Like that market is just there and it's going to, it's just going to crush these giant companies eventually because they, they just, they can't keep up. They won't be able to keep up with the onslaught. We're, we're really just at the beginning of how ransomware is literally changing civilization. 
And ransomware is totally funded by cryptocurrency. Like cryptocurrencies are what make it possible because otherwise it's traceable credit card numbers and whatever else. Um, and arguably, you know, maybe some cryptocurrencies are traceable, but you get my point. Okay. So taking steps now, it's, it's never, it's never too late and never too early. Right. I mean, you're, you're, we're just at the beginning of what this is really, I mean, colonial pipeline is to be cliche about it is tip of the iceberg really is. And I think a lot of companies would do well that if they're not small agile teams, not that I want people to lose jobs, but I would seriously reconsider like the scale of your organization and whether or not you can survive one of these scenarios, you know, a ransomware scenario, just, just on the matter of scale. How many times can you go through that? You know, and you're not going to be able to get insurance for it. I mean, again, insurance companies are running away from cyber insurance as much as they can, or they're charging ridiculous amounts of money that you may not be able to afford. So resolving a lot of these vectors, attack vectors, a lot of it really just comes down to education. Yes, there are things you can do to mitigate, mitigate human stupidity, but a lot of it comes down to raw dog education. Okay. You have to explain to people, say like with phishing and emails, you have to explain to people, do not, I mean, one thing we should get used to, I don't care how fucking ugly it makes an email. I, this, this drives me up the wall that people complain. Like, so when I write an email, I want to include the entire URL, the entire link. I don't want to, you know, like click here and on the here you know, put a hyperlink in, right? But it just says here. Now, I, I mean, I can tell people, hey, make sure, you know, where you see a hyperlink on the text, make sure that you, you know, hold hold the mouse over it and look down on the web browser and make sure that the link is going where you want it to. Now you got to explain to people, okay, you know, make sure it's actually, you know, uh, make sure it accesses paypal.com and not uh, payplug.com, you know, I mean, like you got to be really, really careful. You got to explain to people how URLs work. All right. That's, that's just education point. Number one, you've got to explain to them how, what you call urchins, right? Where, you know, what, what are all, what's all this data at the end after the, the question mark, um, on that link, where is that taking me, you know, or what is that tracking? Um, you got to explain that. You, I mean, th like, these are things that you, you have to explain, but we should, you know, people complain about linking to text and not wanting to see the whole ugly link, you know, and said, so because yeah, if people see the links, they won't read the email. Well, fuck those people for being morons. Like, I don't care if the email's ugly and you're not going to care if the email's ugly, if it prevents your, you know, your company from being a victim of ransomware because you could actually see the fucking link instead of click here. You know, there, there's, there's the old saying, right. That I, that I mention often, it's not mine, but I mentioned it often. Uh, there's always going to be a trade-off between convenience and security. Uh, I, I would argue there's a trade-off between at least digitally, you know, in the digital world, there's a trade-off between, Security and beauty. There's a, you know, there's a trade-off between form and function and we are killing, we're, we're, we're killing our own data. 
and losing millions of dollars because I think you have a lot of people pushing for the convenience, which offsets the security and for the form slash beauty, which also offsets the function slash security. You're dying from both, but whatever, you know, we just know the email's got to look good or no one will fucking like read my bullshit. Well, your email's bullshit. So, <laughs> so they shouldn't read it anyway. Now, considering what we've learned this year of how Microsoft does not stay on top of security around Outlook software and Outlook servers, I don't think you can really count on the overall security um, of you know, like major companies and their emails or, you know, and their email service. Like I, I just, I don't buy that. You, you have to teach people basically don't you, don't you dare click a link in an email at work. Like just don't do it. Okay. Um, and, and you know, if, if, if someone's asking you to do that, maybe email the person back and say, Hey, could you like format? I mean, we've just, we've got to be sticks in the mud about this. Okay. Email. You've got to be super, super careful with email. Now I wasn't exactly sure what order to do this in, but I think that there's some, maybe some points ahead of time that we got to get in before we go down, you know, break down these, uh, attack vectors and how to solve them. Because th there are like just some baseline things you should do. And then that'll make sense of how we resolve these specific attack vectors. So, Something that's long been done uh, by companies, and there's a very good reason for it. It's not just because not everybody has a laptop. It's that you have a machine separation, okay? You have a machine separation of work and play. You have to have a machine separation of that. You get a work laptop. You do not do work from your personal slash home laptop. You do not access work accounts from home. Okay. You, you only do that or from, from like your personal computer, you only do it from your work laptop. You may have to do that from home, but then you should also have a VPN set up uh, that accesses. I mean, and generally it's how you have to do it is through VPN, but you have a very, you know, well set up VPN that accesses, um, you know, say your work servers and the data at work. Now, what about smartphones? Should you have a work smartphone? Um, I think companies would do very well. Okay. Like part of the human attack vectors is having, and this is, again, this goes beyond even just, you know, companies and business and, and ransomware, but the more, what I call account minimalism, the more accounts you have, the more attack vectors you have. Okay. Um, something that most people don't consider an account, but they should is your phone number. Frankly, I wouldn't mind if phone numbers died. Okay. Uh, I think phone numbers should completely go, like, so basically smartphones should not be part of business. Just shouldn't like, like it's just too nasty. It's, it's too nasty a machine. It's just, there's so many ways to get attacked uh, or to, you know, there's so many vectors just on a smartphone alone. And then you run into where, yeah, 
I mean, you might have separate work apps on there, but still most people only carry one smartphone. Most people aren't going to carry two smartphones. I suppose that's something that you could do, but SMS phishing or SMS phishing is so nasty. I mean, you can do certain things like where you can say where you can turn off auto downloading of MMS. That's just essential to do. Okay. But you should basically have landlines at your work. No texting. None of that is part of the process. Okay. Uh, if texting is part of the process, you can treat it just like you do the social media aspect of your process where it is a completely separate off to the side thing. Cause I know there are companies who, you know, they like to communicate via SMS what's going on, but you make that a completely separate affair. Okay. Now I know in other parts of the world outside of, uh, you know, the colonies outside of the United States, that SMS is like, it's bigger than email. It's bigger than like, it is the number one way to communicate and to transmit like even money, you know, and other things. I understand that. And in those scenarios, yeah, that's a different story, but just like phone numbers should go, I think SMS as a protocol might as well go the way of the dodo as well. Um, and I don't necessarily think RCS is the solution here. I mean, something that I think is, is really interesting. So Amazon just recently bought uh wicker, the, uh, you know, the, the messaging platform, the encrypted messaging platform that, uh, Nico cell started a few years ago, um, which I've talked about in the past. Now, why is Amazon buying wicker? Why didn't they just do a roll your own, you know, like they, in fact, we talked about it, that they were developing an instant messaging service. Why didn't they continue on with that? Well, I think one part of it is that wicker has what's called wicker Ram, which is a military, um, or military grade messaging platform. Um, actually it's NSA approved. It's, I think it's probably the only one, but so part of that is they want those military contracts. But the other part is, is that wicker also has, I mean, they have another product. Most people just know wicker for wicker me, which is like their signal alternative, which isn't terrible. You know, over the years, it hasn't been bad. I mean, again, now it's owned by Amazon or it's been acquired by Amazon. Um, but they also had wicker pro or wicker enterprise. And this was effectively a Slack alternative, but that was completely end-to-end -end encrypted, but could do everything that Slack could. Now, does Amazon think it's a good idea to get into the workplace or like, you know, the workplace that isn't necessarily just at a physical building, but the workplace that may be at home and remote and, you know, everybody's all over the place, digital nomading and whatever. Sure. Amazon sees that probably as the future. And one of the issues and zoom learned this lesson hard over the past year or so. Uh, one of the major issues here is securing data between, you know, home and organization, right? Well, if you've got this, you know, top grade encrypted, uh, Slack alternative in wicker, you've got a product differentiator right there. I mean, it's, it's, it's frankly, I mean, I'm not happy about it cause fuck Amazon, but, it's a brilliant move for them to buy this because they're buying into effectively the future of, or at least the perceived future of the modern workplace where, you know, it's, it's this hybrid of remote work and work in an office and so on. And you need to encrypt all that shit, right? That's part. That's also part of solving this ransomware is using 
you know, something like Wicker or even Wire, which concentrates on enterprise, you know, the Wire platform are using, you know, encrypted uh, communications platforms like that, that have like, you know, quasi Slack options with channels and all this other stuff that can all be, I mean, in Wicker, you can even roll out on your own servers, which is awesome too. You know, is that a good idea uh, for a company to do? Absolutely. Yes. Bare minimum is to be end to end encrypting uh, and having software that is constantly scanning attachments and everything else, you know, and looking for, I mean, because I don't think installing like, yeah, there's, there's some enterprise anti-malware and antivirus kind of software out there. I don't necessarily think that that's, that, that solves the issue. So using encrypted platforms, okay, for, you know, for, for communication and transmission is a great, you know, data transmission is a great idea, of course. But I think you need to think about if, so if we're going with, you're going to have separate work devices, okay, preferably, you know, like work laptops or whatever, you need to look at the OS of that laptop. And if, and if you think that having work laptops is an expensive proposition, look, I'm the last person that's going to recommend Google, but if we're, you know, really concerned about ransomware, okay. And most businesses on the planet essentially work for Google now anyway. Um, you know, Chromebooks are cheap. Chromebooks are cheap and the security out there, I mean, is, is top notch. I mean, so I used to be a bit of a Google fanboy. I have been, Pro Chromebook in the abstract, not Google, but pro Chromebook in the abstract for a very long time, because this idea of this lightweight client, inexpensive client laptop, right? That is constantly being updated. I mean, you got to understand Google essentially had to do this. You know, is it Google wanting to get into the education market and wanting to get into enterprise and all that other stuff? Sure. Yeah, that's part of it too. But then there is, they see the same future that I am describing where ransomware just kind of destroys everything. Google effectively had to, had to come up with the idea of Chromebooks. Okay. To keep Gmail and Google workspace viable things 20 years from now, because if they didn't come up with that, then, you know, like no one's going to use, I mean, email would just, would, <laughs> would collapse networks everywhere or, you know, what, whatever. I mean, cause if you can't stop people from clicking on links and emails, then you have to make the platform that the malware payload goes to. You have to make that something that the malware payload just can't exist on. Just, just can't take advantage of. And this is why companies getting away from windows is fucking great. So having your employees use Chromebooks, as long as that fits in with their workflow, I think when it comes to thinking about ransomware, and that's the aspect we're going with, because it's what I was asked to talk about, I think that's a fine and dandy thing to go with. If not, Chromebooks, Linux laptops. Um, there are some inherent things around the nature of security of Linux laptops or of, of Linux, of using Linux in general, that are so simple, but absolutely change, you know, take down your percentage of being an attack vector, you know, exponentially. For example, um, the web browser on a Linux machine, say Ubuntu, whatever you're using. Okay. On a Linux distro, the web browser does not really have access to, does not really have like read, write access, um, to like USB devices. Okay. So, so basically a lot of code running on a web page won't have access to USB devices. That helps mitigate 
how the ransomware would spread, right? How the malware would spread. But that's a very simple thing. Now, I mean, Windows, it's the exact opposite. Like the web browser can seemingly fucking do whatever the hell it wants. But basically, I mean, and Chromebooks are, Chrome OS is essentially Linux based as well. But switching over your organization to Linux is a, is a great thing. Um, if somebody needs to use Photoshop, maybe make that, that ugly machine in the corner wearing a dunce cap. Okay. That people use that, you know, isn't connected to your big, bad network. So you're going to have work specific devices and that's all they do. And you got to explain why you got to make it abundantly clear to your employees why that is. And this can be great. I mean, like, this is why let them, okay, fine. They can have their smartphone. You don't have to have the smartphone and, and there can be an incentive here for paying for phone plans for your employees because pay for the unlimited data plans. Okay. And let, you know, tell them don't have, uh, like have very specific, you want to whitelist green list, very specific, uh, devices that can access your corporate network, right. Or, you know, your business network. Don't let the smartphones be one of those. Okay. Have the smartphones be that device that can do all the personal stuff for the person. And that, and it's, and it's only that, you know, and it's not connected to your network. It is, it does not get used for business. And, you know, okay. So you say, well, but how do I get in touch um, with my employees? You know, if, if we don't have, if like smartphones aren't part of our business, very simple. Okay. You set the business policy, the corporate policy, if you want to call it that. Okay. You set the organizational policy that I will only contact you as an employer. I will only contact you via a landline. I mean, sure. It's probably VoIP, but you get what I mean. A landline, a landline phone at work. I will only call you via voice. Okay. And that's the only way that we're going to communicate. I'm not going to email to you. I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not going to do all this unless it's email that is logged into and only set up for, um, you know, on that work laptop. Okay. You've got to create these separations. That's, that's how you keep ransomware from happening. I really feel like a lot of ransomware just comes from people too much mixing of their personal life and personal interests with the workspace and with the workplace and with their workflow. So do you see what we're doing here? We're eliminating avenues of data transmission and communication that are, you know, between the worker and the workplace and the worker's personal life and the workplace. We're, we're in a wild West right now where because of the nature, again, of so much interactivity and because of smartphones and everything where everything is, you know, like nothing seems to be separate. And in fact, for a lot of us, it's a real problem in that we feel like we're always working, right? Because we're technically always available because our personal device doubles as a work device. And, you know, like, especially with our smartphones or something like that, this is an opportunity. So instead of now, like I said earlier, you have to explain why this matters, why this is a positive outside of, you know, well, it's going to keep us from having to pay a ransom on our data. 
you have to explain to your employees why this is a positive. And I think what you can explain to them here is that having the separate work device, making sure that there are very limited channels within which to share and communicate is for their mental health. And all you've got to do is do your quick search for all of those stories that talk about how uh, we're all going crazy because our bosses are always seeing what we're doing or they're texting us all the time or all that. And you tell them, I am not going to be that boss that bothers you all the time. I respect you as a human being. And that's all you've got to say. And I guarantee you that people, I mean, especially when you explain this to them, because for a lot of people, it's radical thought, but it's positive. And they're going to say, oh, well, thank you. Oh, and they're going to love working for you. So you might think this is limiting things, not at all. And you might say, well, parts of this might be expensive, but it's a lot cheaper than paying off that ransom and losing your data. So you've got to explain things that way. Now, I mean, I don't know why, I mean, a lot of like, you know, real cyber hygiene, as it were, I don't know why most people don't buy, like I always sell it as you get to be a spy. And I feel like most people, at least at some point in their lives, you know, had the, had a bit of a fantasy about being a spy. I don't know why that's not good enough reason. You know, it's like, yeah, just imagine you're a spy and like there, there's just all these organizations like uh, Hydra or Spectre or I don't know, whatever, you know, that are that are constantly uh, vying to get access to your life and data. You know, and I mean, and really those organizations do exist. They're just governments, but <laughs> they're, they're called governments in the real world. Um, but why selling that, selling, you know, do having good cyber hygiene why that doesn't work for people, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Or maybe just other people aren't good at, at, at putting it that out there. But I've tried even like saying that on Sovereign Tech. And I feel like people don't go for it. And I'm kind of baffled by that because I think it's making cybersecurity sexy. And that's an easy way to get people on board with something is by making it sexy. Um, but I guess, I don't know, people just... Maybe it's that laziness that kicks in. I, I don't know. I don't know why that doesn't excite people. The concept of like living like a spy. I, I think it's fun, but okay. So we've basically solved um, phishing or kind of solved phishing. Uh, I, I mean, you know, the other thing, other quick piece of hardware to have is jump on board with YubiKeys for business. Okay. If you can't get people to do it in their personal lives, well, that's their loss, but for business, have YubiKeys. Have that be a thing. Google implemented YubiKeys and phishing attacks went to zero. Z like literally went to 0%. It's a no-brainer to set up phishing keys for major accounts. Um, you know, and speaking of Google, I mean, if you can get, if your workflow can work with, say, Google Workspace or an alternative in that vein, um, you know, let Google handle the, 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 the server security, right? I'm just saying, I like, I don't want to turn my data over to Google either. And I'd recommend I would set up, like if I was setting up a business, you know, say it was max 20 people, I would be using a Synology NAS and I would be setting up all the security through that Synology NAS. And I would be taking courses on how to secure my Synology NAS. I mean, I already know how, but I'm saying if I was somebody that didn't know, I would be taking those courses and, you know, making making that happen, right? Because um, you can do excellent security with, you know, with DSM 
uh, which like DSM 7.0 just came out. And I mean, that's, that's gorgeous. Uh, though Plex isn't working too well with it right now, but that's another conversation. But actually like DSM 7.0 now allows for on Synology NASA's now, now allows for um, where you can do passwordless login, where you can use either the app, the sign in app, or you can use, uh, you know, a FIDO key. You can use like a Yubi key or something like that, which is the right way to go. Like that solves all kinds of problems the, like that. The only way you can really get access in there. I mean, there is still, and they have two factor. There is still the password as an option, but well, anyway, it's, it's in the right direction. But yeah, I mean, that's really what I do. And, and again, I mean, even, even in a, like in a setup where you're a company that all of your sharing and even communication, cause you could use Synology chat, which works really well. Um, even if all of that was done on a Synology NAS, like maybe even a really high end one, a Chromebook is still a viable thing because all you're wanting to do is access that Synology NAS, uh, you know, with a web browser. And so a Chrome Chromebook is perfect for that workflow. Okay. And I mean, a Synology NAS, like DSM has such great security features. Uh, I mean, that, that's just like the simplest thing I, I think that you can do. And now actually with, this is another thing with DSM 7.0, where it has hybrid cloud, where you can back up data to another cloud that you want. I mean, in this concept of backups, backups are a great thing. It depends on how you set them up. If you're doing like full, like full images of servers and everything else, or databases, I mean, you still run into the issue of there being malware on there. If you are more doing backups of spreadsheets and docs and things like this, and it's a simpler situation, um, you know, that that's viable. That's something that, that, that you can do. So in, in Synology even lets you set up like email. I mean, there's a subscription fee, but you can even like set up email through your NAS and their security is they are far more because it's, it's their, I mean, it, it's like the core of their business is far more on top of things than um, than Microsoft, frankly, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, so I think that that's, that's a really nice option is to set up your own NAS, um, with, with a really, really hardened, uh, you know, really hardened code and not beastly code, right? Like windows is beastly code, you know, like it's just, it can't be tamed. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's just waiting for exploits. Uh, no, no code is perfect. Everything is broken. I'll be the first to say that, but you know, cleaner, fresher code. Um, but that's still been hammered on like say, you know, true NAS, uh, you know, or, or Synology. I mean, those are, those are great options to go with, uh, to create a, uh, an environment that, you know, a small business could really work within. So anyway, so we eliminated SMS because that's just not going to be a part of your internal communication. Okay. Phishing. Again, you can kind of resolve. You want to make sure that logging into that email account, I, I think that should have two factor authentication and that's two factor authentication based on either FIDO, you know, a YubiKey or um, one time pins, not SMS based. Again, if you bring in SMS authentication, you brought SMS back into the equation and you brought on another attack vector. Okay. Um, so you can, you can mitigate phishing. You can completely eliminate SMS phishing. Like there's just no need for that to be a part of the program. Voicemail phishing shouldn't be a part of it. Shouldn't, shouldn't be an issue at all. Because again, you very clearly delineate the phone numbers 
that you will be communicating. If you ever have to call, you know, somebody on the phone, the, you know, the phone number that you're going to be working with, like you're making, you, you are laying out the clear limited channels of communication. All right. So, you know, vishing, voicemail phishing, right. Should not be an issue. Um, social media. Again, we talked about this earlier. That's a machine that's just completely off to the left, uh, you know, on its own. Like it's not going to, it should not be work at the workflow. All of it should not be a part of the rest of the network. If someone's got to turn their chair around to go over to the, you know, the, and, and paint, paint that computer that has social media access on it, paint that computer like bright red danger, you know, put high voltage signs around it. I don't know what, whatever you got to do, because that you just, you're just asking for fucking trouble with that. Um, instant messaging. You're either using very particular, uh, uh, options with that, you know, say if you were going with like a wicker pro to do like Slack styled options, or if you're using like Synology chat or something, but you are being abundantly clear where that can be installed, where it can be accessed from. And again, all you've got to do to convince your employees is just tell them this is for your own mental health. I care about your mental health. I don't want to ping your smartphone. Only have this on your work laptop. Okay. And you do that. Um, so instant messaging shouldn't be an issue as, as far as a, an attack vector. Now, getting to some of the machine attack vectors, uh, the drive-by, which is where you go to a web page with malicious code. Um, this might seem draconian to some, but like I said, let your employees have their smartphone that does not connect to the Wi-Fi, that is connected to, you know, just to the telcos, if you want to, you know, be really kind to them, uh, you know, have it, have a VPN set up on it. So they, you know, can feel, feel more, more secure or something like that. Kind of like how Google Fi has a built-in VPN or like AT&T has security stuff for, you know, like security packages for um, smartphones, however you want to go about that. But you just explained to your employees that, okay, you've got your smartphone. I'm going to let you have your smartphone. That's where anything personal you want to do, you want to go on Wikipedia even for personal stuff. That's where you're going. Okay. That like that, that's, that's where you're going to do that kind of stuff is on the smartphone. Do not make the smartphone a work device. Don't do it. Make it the other way around. Make it an incredibly personal device, which it is and keep it as that. And tell them, you, you know, yeah, you can go search and look at porn and whatever the fuck you want on that smartphone. But for fuck's sake, just don't do it on the work computers. Okay. That like that, that's, that's how you separate that. And so really at your workplace, going to random web pages shouldn't be like even allowed or part of the workflow. It just, it just shouldn't be. This also ultimately resolves the issue of malvertising. Um, it partially can resolve network propagation and propagation through shared services, because again, you're not doing that through any device that isn't using completely and only work approved and work assigned software, communication channels, etc. But then for all of this and really kind of the solution for a lot of network propagation and propagation through shared services really comes down to, you know, a device, laptop, whatever, is only as good as 
the latest security patch, right? <laughs> and I say security patch. Um, system vulnerabilities are the other, you know, aside from phishing, system vulnerabilities are the other one that you can really only mitigate and you can never really solve. The update cycle and limited, uh, basically limited hardware, as in like limited amount of SKUs of hardware out there for Chromebooks, um, makes them an easy argument to try and resolve this. Mac is good too, certainly. I mean, in, in its own way, though it's it's not as secure a platform as perhaps it may have once been considered. You know, Linux gets vulnerabilities too. Okay, I mean, I'm not here pretending that it doesn't, but the update cycle for everything, just about everything besides Windows, uh, makes it an easy choice over Windows. Okay. In the news cycle, you know, you're not hearing about, um, you know, like mass crashing of Chromebooks, right? Or really mass crashing. I mean, yeah, sometimes Macs have been, but with the M1 chip, that becomes a lot more interesting too, because like that's a whole new uh, hardware class, basically, that and processor class that a lot of attackers, you know, bad actors has to learn now. So that's very viable is to, you know, use, use Macs, uh, with, especially with the M1 chip. Um, I think that having, you know, on, on these devices, having company wide, uh, update policies set up, which you can do is an, is another direction to go where like it basically forces whatever updates that, that you want to go on there. And, and again, you know, you don't run into the problem of where people are using a million different devices, you know, or a million different types of laptops, right? Well, one employee has an HP, one employee has, a, make it standardized. So you can set up standardized update policies, you know, for, for all of this. I just, it's just, it's the way to go. And look, even with Chromebooks, like you could just constantly log in as guest, right? You don't have to like, you know, log in with a bunch of crap, especially if a lot of this stuff is being done, you know, accessing a server or, you know, a NAS or something like that. Like there's just, there's no need for that. There's no need for, you know, having specific like apps installed. Uh, if there is, I mean, then again, you know, log in with a bullshit account. It doesn't have to be in any way attached to your personal life, or it doesn't have to be something that has anything to do outside of, you know, what you're doing as far as work, uh, you know, with a, a small business or something like that. But the best way to handle system vulnerabilities is to have standardized equipment, standardized devices. You're all using the same shit. Okay. Um, and, and having standardized update policies and don't use windows. <laughs> if you really have to use windows, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe rocket in a VM, but like, don't log into anything. <laughs> Just don't do it. Uh, yeah. Like I said, if you got to have, you know, make the windows machine that has to run Photoshop or whatever. I mean, you can run that on Mac too. Just have that off, have that be that bright red machine in the corner that isn't connected to shit and that, you know, handles everything on its own. Now, the other issue is like, what about sharing information via USB? Um, the same devices, these work devices. I mean, fuck, I'd almost go so far as 
like ripping out or like destroying the USB ports. Buy laptops that have, and these still exist, buy, even if you got to buy older ones, trust me, they're going to be around for a long time. Buy laptops, perhaps. I mean, if, the, if it's the Chromebook thing, you, you can't really, it won't make sense to do this. But if you're going with something else, buy laptops that, that have disk drives. Or, or I mean, that, you know, optical disk drives. They have DVD drives or Blu-ray drives. And you can, you know, if you need to share information between devices and not over a network, do it with optical, with optical data or, you know, with, a, with an optical medium because that optical medium, you know, you can write to it and then it can be read off of, but it doesn't have rewrite access. And so effectively it, it's like, it's an immutable, it's immutable data transmission. Okay. And we'll get into mutability when we talk about backups as well, but sharing things via flash drives. No, no. <laughs> Again, I mean, you could cover up those USB ports with tape, whatever it takes. Nobody should be, and certainly not at home, nobody should be plugging in USB devices. Just should not be a part of the program. Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, I guess there wouldn't be much harm in plugging in a, uh, you know, like, like a USB um, disk drive, like USB, you know, DVD drive or, or Blu-ray drive or burner. But flash drives and external hard drives, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Should not be a part of it. Um, which I guess ultimately leads me to talking about backups. So you got, got that about the USB stuff? Like, just don't touch it. <laughs> don't, don't get involved. Um, let's talk about backups. So... You know, there's what sync.com, sync thing, backblaze. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of different options out there where you can do backups um, of, you know, of, of your data and, you know, inform client information, whatever kind of information you're wanting to back up. You can even do entire system images and like back them up to your, like if you're using a Synology NAS, like I was talking about, where you could back it up to your Synology NAS or your true NAS. Backing up your data is a great thing. Um, I I don't trust system backups and never really, really, I've never have. Um, I don't trust them because you don't know, you know, again, the malware that is the problem that created the ransomware, you know, that, that that's the heart of the ransomware could have been dormant for years and you have no idea, you, you know? So I, I just, I don't trust any kind of system restore. I don't trust any kind of system backup. I've just never bothered with, with any of that. Now I'm not running a fortune 500 company either. I understand that. But like I said, a company like that, you sure as fuck can't secure. But as far as backups go, so there's, and it's somewhat of a modern philosophy that <laughs> the only way uh, your data is truly backed up is that if you have it backed up in the cloud, if you have it backed up on local storage somewhere like a NAS or something like that, perhaps. And if you have it backed up on an air gapped, say hard drive or machine, and that that's, that's the only way you really have all of your data backed up. And then it go, you can go even further and say, and only if one of those has an adjacent copy on a second continent. <laughs> so, so your data is really not backed up 
if it's not on two continents. Okay. These are some very, I mean, the cloud stuff isn't classical, but these are some classical ideas of how to back up your data. And that's not to say that they're bad. Now, some of these, okay, so some of the cloud services, like say Backblaze or some others. So like those, a lot of them will offer what they call uh, immutable backups, where it's a backup that you set like a time limit on as to how long the, the specific version of, say, a doc file, okay, how long that document cannot be written over or changed or anything like that. And so immutable backups are a really great idea. And that can, that can be an interesting way of trying to resolve the issue of malware by making sure that it can't spread to all these backups if it's newer malware. But again, the great challenge is, is how, how do you know how old the malware really is? So even immutable backups, which again, usually run on a time limit, you know, might not be so helpful, but it's certainly an option and, and not a bad one. But effectively, my top choice for backups is really like is using MDiscs. It's back to that optical media where it's not read write. Now that comes with its own challenges because if you're just trying to like constantly back up a document file, then that's that's you know, and, and you're like constantly adding more to the document file or you're adding more to the spreadsheet or something like that. Um, that's, you know, that makes things challenging. But when we're just talking about documents and spreadsheets and things like that, I don't, I feel like, you know, it's easy because, you know, Office, Microsoft Office, Google Docs, you know, so many of the like cloud services that offer these things have versioning built into them. Um, I mean, I, I can't picture that the malware is somehow going to like, well, so the ransomware could keep you from getting access to the data in any way, but that's again, why you have like these three levels of backups, right? Cloud backup should be a part of it. And you could kind of consider the cloud backup to be a hot backup. Okay. Um, but the ransomware can't lock you out of documents and spreadsheets that are also on OneDrive. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that, it, and, and you have versioning on that. So even if the ransomware somehow changed it, you can look back to the like latest best version of it. But ultimately, I mean, if we're just talking about files here, as far as backing up, um, I, I really, I would just be, you know, maybe once a week or every two weeks, um, I would, I'd really be just like, like burning everything onto, you know, another M disc and M discs, or, or, I mean, it doesn't have to be an M disc either. Like if you want to do an M disc at the end of the year and then do like cheaper Blu-ray discs or DVDs or whatever, you know, throughout the rest of the year, um, and just keep updating them. I mean that like, that would be, that's ultimately my backup plan. I mean, I think that this is a big part of also why Facebook, um, which is one company that we know that does this. I'm sure they're not the only one why they use for a lot of their older data. They back it all up onto Blu-rays. Um, they do this because of course, Blu-rays hold a lot of data, but because it's not just because it's inexpensive, but also because it's immutable storage that 
effectively, you know, can't like can't get infected, right? That you can't really exploit once it's on there clean on the disk. So I, I don't know why companies don't want to talk about optical media. I think it's probably because a lot of the tech giants or a lot of the backup company, you know, companies that offer backup services, you know, really want to sell you on what they're offering. But I think optical media is just the no brainer best backup option still today on the planet. And I'm, I'm sure it's easier to rebuild seven days of data than it is to deal with any kind of ransomware uh, fallout, you know, whether it's paying the ransomware, whether it's, you know, whatever you have to do to the machines, you know, any of that rebuilding that say seven days from the last time you burned onto a disc, uh, you know, on, onto a, a DVD or Blu-ray. Um, I mean, that's gotta be just far less of a headache. Now, I mean, can malware get written to disks? Yeah, that's, that's possible. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying it's not, but then you're basically doing your own versioning here by having so many different, you, you know, because you're having this like based off week by week, that would even allow you to really do like a read only analysis of the malware. If you were able to bring in a security expert, you know, that could, that could do that for, for the ransomware, um, or after the ransomware attacked you, uh, but you could test that out, you know, on a completely air-gapped machine. And, you know, you can figure out how far back you have to go, you know, just by having like this really nice labeled disk system. And you can make multiple copies of these disks and ship them to the second continent. And then your second continent backup is handled. <laughs> no problem, because your uncle in Switzerland's got it. Uh, <laughs> and if a fire happens, well, there you go. So you have separation of your backups. You have separation of devices where you have very clear, uh, you know, devices that are meant for work and work only. And those are the only places that those work accounts get logged into. And then everything else is on your personal stuff on your personal device. And then you have, you have laid out very clear lines of data sharing and communication in general. And these have to be like company wide or group wide, whatever it is, you know, policies. Okay. And all of this works great on a personal level, like on a family level. Like if you're just working with your family, like with your family set up, Hey, as a family, we're only going to communicate on telegram or we're only going to communicate on, on this. And that can really solve so many issues within cybersecurity. Actually something I really like, uh, that I've noticed in recent versions of the phone app from Google and in messages from, from Google Android messages um, is that you can set it for only receive calls or texts from uh, approved phone numbers or from phone numbers in your contacts. That's great. You know, that's, that's basically setting up a green list and you know, you might say that that's impractical, but not at all when it, when it comes to, when you know exactly who you need to communicate with and work with and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that that's a genius way to resolve a lot of these issues. A lot of these different types of attacks is to just have a, a green, a green list of contacts. So separate things. Okay. I'm not saying you have to have 20 million devices. I am just saying that each person should have their device for their personal life and their device for their work. And this goes well beyond concerns around ransomware. 
this goes, I mean, when I talked about the whole mental, you know, mental health thing, it's absolutely a part of mental health. Um, I mean, even doing simple things like having one browser that handles all your work stuff on, say, if you're on one computer and one browser that handles all your personal stuff can change your life because we have a real problem right now with work slash life separation. It's not separated anymore. And we are not meant for that. Not even close. So anyone that wants to implement this, the separation um, and these clear lines of communication, uh, I mean, I, I think you're doing a great service, not just to mitigate ransomware, but to like help us all with our mental health. So good for you. Um, so I think I'm going to wrap that one up, wrap this one up with, with that. I hope that all of this, I mean, some of this stuff is stuff that I've talked about before, but I hope there's some actionable options here for, you know, if you have a small business or if you work within a small team, again, if you're in a small team and you just want to go all through Google workspace, there's nothing wrong with that. And then that can solve a lot of issues server side, but then I would still recommend, you know, setting up those clear lines of having the different devices, having the this is the only way that we communicate, whatever that happens to be. And, you know, and, and this is the only thing we use to share data, like, like have those very, very clear venue set up or avenue set up. So that's it. Yeah. We'll wrap this one up on ransomware. Uh, it's again, this is really down the line because these massive companies just cannot handle the level of agility that I'm talking about here. Um, and the working from home thing is just going to make things worse, which is, I think, part of the reason that a lot of companies are like, OK, no, no, really, you've got to come back to the office. Uh, you know, it, it might not be because they want to slave you to death. It might really be because they know that we can't secure our shit if you're having if you're working from home. Or at least they can't reasonably secure their shit. So I think over the next five, 10 years, I mean, we're just going to see so many companies just fall apart. Because, I mean, and, and this leads into conglomeratization and other things, but I mean, they're just, they're going to fall apart because this ransomware isn't going to slow down. You know, uh, <laughs> attacks don't get, uh, you know, attacks don't uh, lessen. They, 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 as an L-E-S-S-E-N, they don't lessen. They just get worse, right? <laughs> they just, they just grow. Uh, and then there's no sign of that stopping and there's nothing that can ultimately really stop it. You can in many ways only mitigate it. Uh, but the more, the smaller and more agile you are as a team, the more capable you are to keep up on the latest advances, updates, and, uh, best practices to mitigate this and do them, you know, absolutely. So I hope that this was uh, helpful to some, I know I have listeners all walks of life. I know there are listeners who do run, uh, businesses. I know there are listeners actually who run very large businesses of this, uh, you know, that listen to this show. And I, I can't believe that you're out there, but I know, I know you are. Um, I know there are listeners who are just, you know, budding entrepreneurs starting off. Uh, these are the things to have in place very early on to make sure that you don't fall prey to ransomware or even to industrial espionage, frankly, you know, to competitors or whatever. It's just a great way to do it and, and to keep your employees sane, not just safe, but sane. So leaving it here, uh, I will see all of you, a lot more to come, plenty of sovereign tech, you know, and it never stops. I will see all of you woo, on the other side.